All right, as I said, we are starting a new series this morning, Detoxify, and uh, we're going to start this morning looking at relationships. I'll start here. Your job might be killing you, literally. More specifically, strained relationships with coworkers could be negatively impacting your health and longevity. That's the conclusion of a 20-year study conducted by researchers at Tel Aviv University. They examined the relationship between the workplace and a person's risk of death. In 1988, the researchers recruited 820 adults and asked them detailed questions about their workplace conditions. At the start of the study, the participants ranged in age from 25 to 65, and they worked in a variety of careers. For the next 20 years, the researchers tracked the participants. By 2008, 53 of the workers had died. The study found that those who died were significantly more likely to have reported a hostile work environment. Surprisingly, the greatest source of stress came from the employees' coworkers, not their bosses. The workers who reported little or no social support from their coworkers were 2.4 times more likely to die during the 20-year study than those who said they had supportive bonds with their coworkers. The article concluded that the findings add evidence that having workers, add evidence that having a supportive social network decreases stress and helps foster good health. Unfortunately, the same article noted another 2011 survey that provided evidence that workplaces are becoming less supportive and less civil. The American Psychology Association found that 86% of nearly 300 workers surveyed reported incivility at their job, including rudeness, bad manners, and results. And that's actually a 10-year-old study, So, but uh, find that interesting. Your hostile workplace may be killing you. So this series, Detoxify, and today we're talking about radioactive relationships, but here's really the premise behind it is clearing out the poisonous because they poison us. Like, yes, there are poisonous, toxic things in life that poison us, and we need to kind of identify what they are and think about how do I get those out of my life so I can enjoy more of the abundant life that Christ has indeed promised to me. Now, for us, uh, we have a son, of course, he's 26 now, but when he was two or three, he got diagnosed with autism. And uh, one of the first things we did was we got to some, some biomedical uh, doctors and attention to help out with him. And uh, one of the first things we did was we kind of got him off certain foods, and that had an overnight impact on his ability to sleep and ability to perform certain tasks and to not be as, as, as upset and angry. Um, so that was kind of interesting, just detoxifying in just that sense from some foods. But this biomedical doctor we had actually took him through, through chelation therapy where basically they, they, they test you and then they detox heavy metals out of your body like mercury and copper, uh, lead, stuff like that, that may be there and you don't know it's there. And I can't say that had a huge impact on him necessarily, but I do know it does have a huge impact on many people who go through that process, who, who do the testing and then under a doctor's supervision, they detox some of the stuff from their body. It can have a huge impact on your physical health. Uh, where does this connect with this message in this series? Well, the reality is we know, right? We've talked about it a lot lately. We are more than a body. We are a spirit and a soul as well. And so we need to sometimes pay attention to our spirit and our soul. And so in this series, we're really going to focus on our spiritual health and we're going to do some soul care. I mean, the reason we come out and, and gather and worship on Sunday morning is to worship, is to exalt Christ. But we understand what that does as well for our spirit and our soul. That we are not just physical beings. We also have a spirit 
and a soul. So we're going to talk today specifically, as I said, about toxic relationships. But here's a number of the, the things in this series that we might hit on. Toxic environments, toxic emotions, toxic thoughts and attitudes and beliefs, toxic behaviors, words, even sometimes religion can be toxic. There are a lot of toxic things in our life that we can focus on and we can say, hey, do I need to uh, maybe consider how that may be affecting me negatively? And we'll look also at some of the ways then in which we can detox those things through God's word and our relationship with him and specifically through the gospel itself. I've used this table the last few weeks and we'll just go back here again this morning. It's very helpful for us, right, to think about who we are. Now this is again before we are saved. In the flesh, I am a soul and I'm defined by my personality and I'm defined by my thoughts and my feelings and my choices. That's just a fact. Um, I have a spirit, but my spirit is dead to God. I have no spiritual interest and I live in a body. So I'm a soul and a spirit and I live in a body. And then after we're saved, there's a seismic shift that takes place in our life. I now am a spirit. My spirit's alive to God. I'm, I'm interested in, in, in spiritual things. I'm interested in what the Bible has to say about life. I, I want to live a different life. I have those desires I didn't have before. I still have a soul. I still have a personality, and I think and feel and make choices. They just don't define me anymore. I'm not defined by all my, my mistakes. I'm not defined by all my feelings and emotions and, and my thoughts. Uh, I'm defined by Christ. And, of course, then I live in a body. And I think it's always important to remind ourselves who we truly are. And so this morning, everybody in this room this morning, you're one of two people. You're either in Christ and you are a spirit or you're in the world and you're not saved. You've never really responded to the gospel and uh, put your faith and trust in Christ to be your Savior. And so you are a soul. Your spirit is dead to God. And I think it's really important that we stop and see the simplicity of how the Bible defines who we are before him. Here's why this is important to this series. That if you are in Christ, what you need to know is that these toxic things in our life, and there may be toxic beliefs and attitudes and emotions and behaviors, we just need to know they don't define us. They don't define us anymore. When you come to Christ, they no longer define us. And so it's important to know that. That toxic environment, relationship, attitude, or belief does not define me. Now, Here's how I always say it. I've said this many times in the past. Uh, as believers, we don't have a sin nature. We have a sin problem. Like before you're saved, you have a sin nature. You just desire sin. You just want to sin. It's like, you know, I mean, maybe sometimes you don't like the consequence of your sin, but you really don't have spiritual desires. You just want to go out and live like the world. And once you come to Christ, he does a work in you, and you begin to have a different desires inside and so we don't have a sin nature anymore we now have our nature in christ we do have a sin problem we struggle with sin we struggle with toxic choices and and feelings and emotions and attitudes and all of that can be very true this is the reality we need to know who we are and we need to understand our true nature so that's why this is important the other reason why this is really important to understand again who we are and those those two charts there of knowing who we are, is because if you are not saved, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, you need to understand that detoxifying, it's just like a Band-Aid. It's like it doesn't really, it really isn't that impactful in your life. Christ is the one who needs to come and ultimately make you a brand new creation in Christ. Somebody sent me a video recently, and I want to share the video this morning. We're going to start this video, and hopefully the volume's up. Just watch this three-minute video here, and this will explain the gospel and exactly what Christ does for us that we can never do for ourselves.
My God, why have you forsaken me? Commit my spirit. You understand why I share that video then? Because <clears throat> there's a world full of people today who would latch onto a sermon series like Detoxify. And think, I need to do that. I need, to, I need to detoxify some things in my life, right? But if you haven't done that, if you have not put your faith and trust in Christ, if you have not let Christ come in and deal with your sin problem, yeah, no sermon series or any TED talk on detoxifying yourself is ultimately going to help you. You need Christ to do for you what you cannot do for yourself and that's to take care of your sin problem. And that's why you're dead to God, because you have never allowed God to take care of your sin problem. You've never basically said to God, you're holy and you're righteous and I have sinned against you. That I, I have, just like Adam and Eve, I've joined in the sin and I have sinned against a holy God and I have no right to be in your presence. But I believe you came and died on the cross for my sins and forgave me for my sin, and I am putting my faith and trust in you. I'm believing today, and I'm receiving you as my Savior. I'm receiving your forgiveness. I want a relationship with you. That's the gospel. And until you do that, detoxifying on a human level really doesn't matter. But for those of us who know Christ, yes, there's times we want to stop, then we want to think about, okay, I've been made a holy and righteous individual in a relationship with Christ, but I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with relationships in this world and bad attitudes and all kinds of things. And so maybe detoxifying sometimes, thinking about those things in my life that I need to get rid of will really help me. Here's our theme verse, really, for this series. It's, Cindy read this earlier. Listen to this. First Thessalonians 5, 6. Your boasting is not good. 
Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? And so this is to the church at Corinth. And the church at Corinth had a problem. There was a pretty egregious sin going on in the church. And they were kind of ignoring it because it's like, well, it's, it's really not somebody from our small group, right? It's like in our small group, Mary gossips and Frank has anger issues, but nobody in our group is doing anything that bad. And so it's like they just kind of ignored it. Kind of made them feel better about their own subtle sin. And so he goes on and says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. What a great little passage there. So what does all that mean? Well, there's some pretty powerful stuff in there, actually. There is some, there's a great theological gem in there. You probably didn't even catch it because I've never caught it until I studied this week. I'm like, wow, look what it said. So here's the reality. Here's what he's saying. Leaven in the Bible always represents sin. So, you know, don't you know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? A little leaven will make the whole bread rise. Well, a little sin in your life will infect your entire body. Your whole spirit, soul, and body. It will, it will affect the whole church body. Like the whole church, if there's an egregious sin that we are indifferent towards, that we act like it's no big deal. No, that, that's a big deal. It can really impact the church. It can impact your physical, your spiritual, and your uh, emotional life as well. So yes, we want to get rid of anything toxic in us that could cause us problems. Um, so he goes on here. Listen to what he says. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Did you get that? That's, I just never saw that. He's saying, yeah, so get rid of the sin in your life because you know what? You really are without sin because Christ made you without sin because you don't have a sin nature. You have a sin problem, but you don't have a sin nature. You really are unleavened. Why? Because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. I love the way he ties the unleavened bread, you know, of the Jewish people and the Passover lamb together. And because the Passover lamb came and, and died for us and we put our faith and trust in him, we're now we're without, we're without sin. So we should live like we don't have any sin, right? That's the reality. And then he goes on, celebrate by living true to who you are. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And how do we symbolically today celebrate what was the Passover feast for the Jewish people in the Old Testament? Well, symbolically, we just live true to who we are. We realize that we are that unleavened piece of bread, that God has made us holy and righteous and pure and true, and we live like a new creation. Wow, pretty powerful pretty powerful stuff and that'll kind of be a theme verse for this thing of just getting that leaven getting that toxicity getting that sin out of our life that can impact us here's our big idea for today and probably the whole series this world can be a toxic place navigate it with a spirit of discernment and grace and, and just think about this, it takes truth plus grace to detoxify. And when you think about discernment, it's like the first cousin of truth, right? Like discernment is tied to truth. And so it takes truth and grace to detoxify. The world can be a toxic place, navigate it with a spirit of discernment and grace. Your workplace may be killing you. you, you know, there's all kinds of things going on around you that can be toxic to you. How do we handle those through the scriptures? Let me give you two examples and then we're going to jump in and I'll, I'll give you four common relationships we're all dealing with. But two, two examples of this. One is uh, found back in 
1 Corinthians and chapter 15. We were here last week, right? In 1 Corinthians 15, if you'll recall, there were those in 1 Corinthians 15 in the church at Corinth there that were saying they didn't believe in the resurrection. That was the lie. Certain individuals were spreading this falsehood that there's no resurrection. And Paul went on to say, hey, if there's no resurrection, that means Jesus didn't resurrect from the grave. And if he didn't resurrect from the grave, we don't have any faith. Our whole faith is built on the crucifixion and a resurrection of Christ. If Jesus Christ did not rise on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, we should all go home. There's, there's no reason for us to be here. That's what makes the Christian faith, what sets it apart, that we have someone who went to the cross and took all of that sin, that toxicity on him, and defeated it all, and then he rose again three days later, victory over it. And he is the one who gives us life because of that. So Paul goes on and talks about what was going on in the church. And we don't know why they believe this, but, but here's what he says to them there at the end, towards the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. And so basically, note, note what he says there. Bad company ruins good morals. The people we hang out with will affect us. I mean, how, like, duh, right? Kids know this from school, but we can know this as adults as well. Bad company ruins good morals. And the reality is sometimes we need to be careful who we hang out with. We need to maybe avoid certain people or build boundaries around certain relationships. We might hear that as adults and think, well, that's kind of extreme. Like, there, there are people I need to avoid or relationships I need to end or relationships I need boundaries around because I can't handle them. Seriously? As an adult, we might think that seems extreme. Let me tell you something. If you just put on your parenting cap, you'll realize that's not extreme. Because, you know, you know here's, here's the truth, right? As parents, as parents, we set relational boundaries for our kids all the time. We do that like, yeah. Like, there are certain kids, like, you're not hanging out with, you're not hanging out with him or with her. Or if you do hang out, there's going to be boundaries, if your boyfriend comes over to study, fine, but you're not going to go up and study in your room with the door closed. There's boundaries, right? It's common sense. And so for us as adults sometimes to stop and think, maybe I need some boundaries in my life. Maybe there are people, relationships in my life that are destructive to me and are not allowing me to really grow and thrive spiritually in my relationship with Christ. I need to think about who I'm hanging out with, who I am tethering my life Here's a second example in 2 Timothy 2. Again, another group of people here. And a uh, second example uh, ties around the idea of resurrection again. I don't know why they had a problem with that with Paul. But remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words which does no good but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness and their talk will spread like gangrene among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have swerved from the truth saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. So in this church, in this situation, he's telling Timothy, his young protege, he's saying, hey, uh, there, were, there were some that were teaching the resurrection had passed and that was upsetting certain people in the church. And of course it would. Like if you thought you were going to be taken away with the Lord to glory and somebody came along and said, oh, he already came and left. <laughs> you know, he's, the resurrection's already happened. You'd be like, oh, wait a minute. 
I thought I was going. I thought I was going to heaven. I thought I had my ticket for heaven. And so that was troubling people because they were teaching the resurrection had already passed. And uh, again, the idea is, you see, the people we hang out to, yeah, what they teach us and what they say to us and how they shape our beliefs can be really incredibly important. And these false teachers were peddling a false truth that was spreading like a deadly bacteria and causing people unnecessary, unnecessary concern. That's the reality. You know, there's a very powerful uh, reality check within this context here when we think about, you know, the truth here and how these lies that countered the Bible caused such uh, problems. In fact, did you note the common word in both of those was the word ruin, right? Do not quarrel about words which only ruins the hearers. And in that first passage, bad company ruins good morals. It's like, yes, the people we hang out with can, can ruin us. Don't let your relationships ruin you in other sense. But there's a great reality check here. Any relationship that contradicts the Bible, I'm just going to straight up tell you, will be a toxic relationship. Anything that contradicts the Scriptures will be a toxic relationship. That affair will be toxic. You know, premarital sex is toxic. I mean, just studies prove it. The more premarital sex, the more likely you are to end up divorced. It's just a fact. It's just proven through studies over time. You want your marriage to last? Save the sex until you're married. Being unequally yoked will be toxic. If you know Christ, if you're in Christ and, and uh, you're marrying someone who's not in Christ, that'll be toxic. Worst thing you can do. It'll just be a toxic relationship. Studies prove it. Common sense can kind of prove it, right? You want to raise your kids in the church and the other person has no interest in the church and it can be toxic. I was thinking about this. You ever, you ever seen those relationships where, the, where you know, like, like the... Like maybe the, the, the husband, you know, like he's married, but he can't let go of his relationship with his parents or his mom. That's like, like a common unhealthy relationship sometimes, right? And it's like, you're, you're supposed to love me more than your mom and let go of your mom. And you, what does the Bible say? We get married, we cleave to one another and we leave behind our mom and dad. Again, anything that goes contrary to scripture will be toxic. No matter what culture tells us, even today, this issue today of homosexuality and transgenderism, it'll be toxic. Regardless of what culture says, it will be ultimately toxic when you get past all the lies and you get down to the truth. Again, just remember, the world can be a toxic place. Navigate it with a spirit of discernment and grace. Let me give you four really toxic relationships, common sense, things that we deal with, very relatable things we deal with every day. Four of the most common or most toxic people I will encounter in life. The first is the cajoler. The cajoler. This is the person who, you know, wants to tempt me. The one who wants to, uh, you know, coax me to do those things that I shouldn't do. And, you know, as we get into these things, you know, the, the, the truth is, when we think about who these people are, the, cajol the cajoler and these other, uh, other three relationships, these, these could be the people at work, the next-door neighbors, distant relatives, and for some, the relationship hits closer to home. We're, we're married to somebody sometimes who, it's like, this is kind of like a toxic relationship, and, and how do I deal with that? And, and sometimes these relationships require more than a Sunday sermon, but we will speak in generalities this morning and see if we can't 
help us all and encourage us all in this. And so the cajoler, there's those people that want to tempt us and want to coax us and want to entice us to do things that we know we shouldn't do. We often think about this as the younger generation, right? Like the kids in school, yeah, they, they deal with this. Like, like there's the kids at school that are tempting them to engage in bad behavior. And they're, they're the ones most likely to end up sitting next to the principal in the principal's office with that friend who, who coaxed them to do what they shouldn't do. But let me just go back to this verse again, right? Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. You know, this verse here has no like um, age limitation. And in fact, you know, this was actually written to the adults in the church. <laughs> so, yeah, even us as adults, we need to be aware of our relationships and how important they are. And I would circle that word deceive there and think about that word deceive because it's easy to deceive ourselves and think, oh, this person won't hurt me or this person's not a bad relationship or I can handle this when really, we really, really, really can't. Again, remember, it's easy to deceive ourselves. And, and what does he say back there again? Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump in this church here in 1 Corinthians, that's actually, actually 1 Corinthians 5, 6. The, the church here at this point is being deceived and thinking it's not a big deal. The irony here is that the church as a whole is to be a body where all the parts are looked out for and build each other up. We should not be tempted to overlook sin in the church, but to take it seriously which was clearly an issue for the Corinthian church. And again, sometimes we're just, we, 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 we like to focus on the, 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 ignore the big sins because they kind of cover for the little sins in my life, the little issues I have in my life. Hebrews 10, 24, what a great verse. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And if I ask you this morning, what's the most important part of a Sunday morning uh, church service, right? Our gathering, many would say, well, it's the message. You know, it's like when Pastor Bill gets up and gives a message. And uh, some would say, well, the worship is really powerful too because the worship really helps me get a focus for the week ahead, right? But could we say that there's, Equally important is our relationships here on Sunday morning that encourage us, that speak to our spirit and soul and encourage us in our walk. We need to be encouraged and not discouraged in our spiritual walk because there are toxic relationships in your week ahead, toxic, toxic uh, environments in your week ahead, all kinds of toxicity in your week ahead that we have to work, live, and engage with and we need to come on Sunday morning and be encouraged to be encouraged. All the more important are the godly relationships we have in the church that keep us tethered to the truth and focused in the right direction. So we need relationships that encourage us and they don't discourage us. Hopefully we find that within the context of our gathering here on Sunday morning, especially as those hang out down there in Sunday school each week. We can really encourage each other more personally. Here's the deal. The wrong relationships require the right boundaries. So I'm going to give you a few boundaries this morning as we go through this. Boundaries we can set up that can help us navigate some of the toxic relationships we come in contact with. One is don't be afraid to choose your friends wisely or carefully. Don't be afraid to choose your friends carefully. Here's the reality. Did you know this, right? We should be friendly with everyone, but that doesn't mean that everyone has to be my friend. There's a difference, right? I can be friendly to everybody, but not everybody has to be my friend because I recognize there are some people 
It's not healthy for me to be friends with them and to hang out with them. Look at this verse here, Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I didn't plan this, but as I'm going through this, I'm thinking, okay, God wants us to get that word ruin down today, all right? Because that's the third time he's brought up that word ruin. Here's another translation. Um, the man of too many friends chosen indiscriminately will be broken in pieces and come to ruin. Same verse, different translation. So choose your friends wisely and don't let your relationships ruin you. I think that's kind of the advice there. We need to get relationships that will build me up, not lead me away from Christ. And, and again, I'm focused on this reality that I'm not just a body. I have a spirit and I have a soul. I need a healthy spirit and I need some soul care. And so again, there may be times we need to end relationships kids in school you don't have to be you, you can be friendly to everyone in school without being a friend of everyone in school and there are certain people you don't want to be friends with because they're gonna they're they're just not going to be good for you they may ruin you here's another boundary really guard the information you share with toxic people like again there can be people who we simply need to be careful how much we open up to and how close we become the best test for this is always simple. Who is influencing who? And so we need to be very careful about the kind of relationships we have out there in the world. If someone's influencing me negatively, then I just need to stop. And sometimes I can guard how much I share, right? Because here's the deal. You start sharing your problems with people, you build a closer bond, and then that person instinctively is going to start speaking advice into your life. Like, well, here's some advice. Here's how you should handle that problem. And it's like... We need to stop and maybe be careful that people that aren't spiritually grounded and don't have my values start telling me what I should do in my life, which, again, another boundary there is never trust the judgment of toxic people. There's, there's just people, that person's a troublemaker, and I'm not going to trust their judgment at any point. And that may sound extreme, and there may be occasions when they'd give me good judgment, but I'm just going to set this up as a boundary and say, I'm never going to trust them, but then I'll never get into trouble. And I'm going to find people I can trust. I'm going to find people who can give me good advice. That's the simple reality. Again, this world can be a toxic place. Navigate it with a spirit of discernment and grace, spiritual discernment to choose your friends wisely. Who am I going to hang out with? Who's going to be my friend? Who's not going to be my friend? And again, I can be friendly to everyone without everyone being my friend. And then here's the second toxic relationship, the complainer. We all encounter the complainer in life, right? There are people who complain all the time. They are constantly negative. And if we're not careful, these people will help us, cause us to lose sight of God's blessing. So if there's someone that just constantly complains around you, stop and say, time out. Like, I, I don't, you know, I, yeah, I just don't need that in my life. I really don't need that in my life. Ask yourself a question. How would you feel? It's Christmas morning, right? And you get up and you've opened all the presents with the kids and you've, you've cooked that glorious ham and you've had a great meal and all the kids can do is complain about, oh, well, you could have bought me better toys. Or, oh, that ham was kind of burned. Why didn't we have turkey? Or why didn't we have duck? They just complained the whole time. How would you feel? And I think sometimes I wonder how God feels in that We go through life, we just complain and gripe and moan about stuff and God's up there like, you got it pretty good. You know, look at all the blessings, look at everything I gave you, look at the world you live in. And so sometimes we need to stop and we need to, to think about this, uh, this issue of complaining and do people cause me to complain more? Second, uh, Philippians 2, do all things 
without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. So don't grumble and don't complain. Understand that we live in a twisted and crooked, perverse generation that likes to complain. We're going to complain about everything. And it's easy to complain. I get it. Like gas prices are high. It's annoying. And food is skyrocketing, right? I get it. There's all kinds of reasons to complain. And sometimes we complain more out of just, just kind of a humorous sort of complaining just as a way to deal with life. But think about how much we complain. As Christians, we need to be the non-complainers. Like, we need to be the ones who don't complain, and we need to watch we're not around people who cause us to complain, that influence us to complain. Great in- example from the Old Testament. Look at, this, look at this from the Old Testament, Numbers 11. Israelite people, they're, they're leaving Egypt, right? This is the great exodus. They're, they're, they're leaving their bondage to Pharaoh and being led out by Moses. And the people, this is like they're in the wilderness traveling there, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Can I just stop for a minute and give a shout out to the gospel? Because of that video we saw earlier when Christ took all of God's wrath and took all of the wrath for sin and took all of that on himself, God will never do that to us. So we might complain, but God's never going to come down and kind of burn the camp or burn our house and destroy some of us because we had a bad, a, a bad attitude. Um, God took all that wrath on the cross. It's, it's a different, it's a different uh, age we live in today than in the Old Testament, and God did that in the Old Testament, and God showed who he was and what he was allowed to do and what he was worthy of doing. But he dealt with all that at the cross, so now he doesn't respond in that way and punish us in that way going on though then the people cried out to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire died down so the name of that place was called Tibera because the fire of the Lord burned among them now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving and the people of Israel also wept again and said oh that we had meat to eat we remember the fish we ate in Egypt and that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Uh, here's the point. Notice here it says the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And so here, here's what we often don't realize is that when the Jewish people left, you know, left Egypt there in the, in the great exodus, there were like half a million of them or so and they, they left. There were people that left that weren't Jewish. There, there was a mixed multitude. Actually, the rabble is defined over here as I just read in Exodus then. The people of Israel journeyed about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. A mixed multitude of them went up. So there's, there are those that aren't Jewish that are traveling with them. Um, uh, different translations say an ethnically, ethnic, eth, ethnically diverse crowd. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them. And one commentator said, when you think of the rabble, think of the riffraff. But th- these were troublemakers that were mixed in with the Jewish people. And they were, they were like, they believed in, in God, but they didn't really believe in God. And they were traveling along. And the reality, the reality is, notice what it said there, right? The rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And one commentator said, and I think this is probably pretty maybe accurate that th- th- these these people that were non-jewish they may have enjoyed more of the blessings of egypt they may have tasted more of the more of the abundance of egypt than the israelites did and so yeah they're the ones that are like 
They're craving what was left behind. The Israelite people as a whole were like, yeah, that was a pretty bad situation. We kind of were beaten. We kind of worked hard. And we didn't get the best of the land. But those that did. And so understand here, the rabble, they're influencing all of these people. Don't let the rabble or the riffraff influence your attitude in life. Just don't let them. Just be aware that they actually can do that. We need to be careful who is in our caravan as we travel through life. And again, we need to do spiritual life with those who will encourage us and not discourage us. Even the messages I preach should encourage us, not discourage us, right, in our journey. Hebrews 10, 24 again, or Hebrews 11, 24, yeah, 10, 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. So a couple of boundaries here real quickly. I can excuse myself from toxic conversations. You can do that. You know, if you're at work, if you're in a setting where everybody's sitting around and complaining about the boss or a foreman or a supervisor and they're all griping and complaining and moaning, you can excuse yourself from that conversation. You don't have to stay behind and throw more fire, uh, more logs on the proverbial fire. You can get out of that. You can say, I'm just going to go. And you don't have to make it a public service announcement. Like, I'm better than you. I'm leaving this conversation. You can just quietly leave. Let them, you know, complain all they want amongst themselves and say, you know, that's not going to help me. And again, if you're ever in that environment where you're with a group of men or women and they're all getting their complaining about their spouses together, you know, right? You can just say, yeah, I'm not going to. I'm not going to engage in that. I'm not going to complain about my spouse when she's not around or he's not around because that can be easy to do as well. We talked earlier about choosing our friends wisely and we need friends, of course, who won't encourage us to complain. We need to do that. Here is another uh, healthy boundary. I can remind myself how blessed I am. Yeah, I can do that, right? Because we live in a world where it's so easy to complain all the time. So one of the boundaries is I'm going to be very tangible, very very um, intentional about reminding myself every day what are the blessings I have in life. From my home to my car to the food I eat to the relationships I have to the people that love me to the church I go to. All the things I can remind myself how blessed I am that I have parents who care about me, grandparents who care about me, uh, aunts and uncles who care about me, whatever it is. Count your blessings. The world can be a toxic place. Navigate with a spirit of discernment and grace. And I'll just give you one small exception here. We talk about this, you know, about not getting together and complaining. I will say this. We all need one, two, three, four friends, a small network of close friends. We get together, and sometimes we do vent, and sometimes we do talk about what we're going through in life and our struggles in life and, and the things that we are tempted to complain about. We talk about it with them. We help them, allow them to help us unpack the issues we're going through in life, not because we want to complain, but because we want to get the toxicity out of our life and live a more spiritually healthy life. So there's a place for that, right? There are those, the, that close network of friends, that small group of friends that we get together and we pray for each other and we encourage each other, don't discourage each other. Um, we just avoid the groupthink of all those that want to get together just to complain, just to complain, just to complain, right? Here's a third one, the controller, third toxic relationship we all probably uh, maybe have encountered somewhere at work or at home, wherever it might be. And someone who is a controlling person has their own personal issues that they need to work out. Every positive, healthy relationship is built on freedom and trust and space, and we need to be able to give that to people. 
If a relationship cannot thrive on trust and freedom and space, it certainly will not thrive under someone's attempted control. (laughs) It will not be a healthy relationship at all. And again, there are plenty of people around us who can be controlling. That coworker, that person we're dating, or sometimes that person we're married to. And that's, of course, a much more problematic issue if we're married to someone who's controlling. And again, as I said earlier, it requires more than a Sunday sermon in that situation to deal with those kinds of problems. But we can deal with some of the basics here. We can. And again, controlling people intimidate you, manipulate you, coerce you, even guilt you into doing or thinking what they want. They want to control how you feel, how you think, what you believe, and what you do. And it's really amazing because even Paul dealt with controlling relationships in his own ministry. Like, we might not think that would be the case, but listen to what he says here in Romans 16, 17. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent to what is evil. And so you can see the people Paul's describing here. They constantly stir up trouble. They have a self-centered agenda. Everything's about themselves. They use intimidation tactics to scare people. They use flattery to manipulate people. They, they, they also aim for those with a good reputation, but they're a little bit naive. I thought that was interesting. They go for the naive, the hearts of the naive. Paul dealt with controlling people in his ministry, and what he says there was avoid them. Like, if there are people like that, avoid them. If you can, through spiritual discernment, identify this is a controlling person who wants to control how I think and feel and what I do and where I go, and they're going to get me into trouble, avoid them. And again, it's again more pro- problematic, as I said, if you're married to someone like that. I'm not in any way advocating in this message for anyone to divorce their spouse because he or she is presumed as controlling or toxic. If we were to be honest, in most marriages, there is plenty of blame and toxicity to go around. Now then, if you ever had to or ever have to leave a spouse, there is more than enough of God's grace to see you through that difficult journey, but divorce is never intended to be an easy way out. And so just just understand that if you know someone who has a controlling spouse, though the relationship most likely needs probably some counseling more than a Sunday sermon. You need to deal with those issues, those controlling issues. And um, yeah, bottom line, when Paul said, when possible, Paul said to avoid those controlling people. Here's a second boundary we can give you though, right? Uh, Or first boundary, I have the right to choose to avoid controlling people. So that's the, the first boundary. I just have that choice. Like, I can identify you spiritually and say, yeah, that's not a healthy relationship for me. And then a second one, really, God has given me a spirit of fear, uh, not a spirit of fear, but of good judgment. Like, we, he's given us his mind, so I, I can use spiritual discernment and make wise choices here. I don't have a spirit of fear. I don't have to be afraid of this person who's controlling. And I don't have to be, be afraid when, when they go off on their rants, whatever it might be. I don't have to be afraid of their words. I don't have to be intimidated or manipulated. But I can trust the Lord in, in that sense. And then 2 Timothy 1.7, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Some translations say sound judgment. Some say a sound mind. Some say discipline. This is who I am in Christ and I can yield to Christ and I can trust Him 
And, uh, and I know for those that have been in controlling relationships, you're like, you just, you don't, you just don't get it. <laughs> it's like, I know I don't. And like I said, a, a Sunday sermon can't deal with some of the issues that some people go through. But just saying, we don't have to be afraid. We have to learn to rely on Christ in that situation. And then finally, the more I surrender to God, the more He takes control. I mean, the biggest egregious issue with controlling people, and if we give in to them, is if they're controlling me, then God's not controlling me, right? And I need to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. The more I surrender to God, the more He will take control in my life and the more He will help me navigate those toxic relationships. We need to be so aware of that. Again, what do we say we need to navigate this? With the spirit of discernment and grace, with truth and grace, both of them together help us navigate the toxic relationships that we come in contact with. And I'll give you one last one, and that's the critic. And uh, we all have encountered the critic, right? The person who constantly criticizes us and tears us down is critical of everything we do. And uh, we don't want to be a critic, and we don't want to live with a critic. We certainly do not want to. Proverbs 27, 6, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So we all need people who can at times offer us some constructive criticism. We need friends who can be honest with us, whose relationship is indeed healthy and helpful. We need to be aware of the one who claims to be a friend but really is our enemy, that one who is truly toxic. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Constructive criticism is healthy. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And a healthy boundary here is simply is never listen to a liar and their criticism. If you know this person's a critical person, then you just say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to your lies. Like you can say whatever you want. You can tear me down, whatever. I know who I am in Christ. I know that he loves me. And I don't have to listen to their negative criticism. Again, look at this verse here. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. So there's a, there's a point for good, constructive, healthy criticism, like listening to people who want to encourage us, not discourage us, who want to build us up. Those, those friends that we unpack our life with. And then there are those that just constantly criticize us and tear us down and make us feel worse. And again, it takes spiritual discernment to know the difference. Same Passage, different translation. If you listen to constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. If you reject discipline, you only harm yourself. But if you listen to correction, you grow in understanding. So there is a place for good, solid, constructive criticism to help us thrive in life, to help us have healthy relationships, to sometimes... That constructive criticism is, are those friends who are saying, you know, you need to get out of that relationship. That's toxic. You need to, you need to stop hanging out with that person or go into that place with that person because that's toxic. So there's times, yes, we need to be criticized in a healthy way. And we need to, at the same time, recognize the person who constantly criticizes us. 1 Thessalonians 5.20, do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Choose your friends wisely. Test this friend and that friend to see if they are really a healthy, healthy friend. Learn to discern healthy criticism in your life. What a great, what a great boundary 
that would be. And again, the world can be a toxic place. Navigate it with a spirit of discernment and grace. As we wrap up today, I want to give you one final example here. And I think throughout the series, we're going to probably go back to this individual a lot. I have the feeling that God's going to take us back to a young man in the Old Testament called Daniel. Most of you know Daniel's story. I'm not going to go through the whole story other than to say Daniel's a teenager. And Daniel is living in his homeland. And uh, Daniel gets ripped out of his homeland and out of his household and away from his family and taken and carried off to Babylon. Israel was taken captive by Babylon for 70 years. God prophesied it. And so at this point, a lot of the young men are taken captive and they're taken into Babylon. And, and he's living in the palace there of King Nebuchadnezzar. And he's being trained by the king in the ways and, of the Chaldean culture, basically. These are the... These were the, the young men that were really intelligent and really wise and really upstanding and just really had noble character and they really stood out. Like these were the, the best of the best. And so he was going to train them in the ways of the Babylonian culture basically. And they were going to serve in his government and serve in his palace. And Daniel is there. And if you, if you remember Daniel's story like the king comes in early on and he's going to give them all of this, this, this choice meat and this wine and, and uh, Daniel says no uh, I really can't eat that that's really not kosher I guess we could say it's like yeah I, I'm not allowed to eat that I need to drink water and eat vegetables and uh, there was some concern there that if he did that he wouldn't really grow and wouldn't really thrive and, but uh, he takes his stand and he eats vegetables and, and uh, drinks water for 10 days and at the end of 10 days looks better than all the rest of the other men. Daniel goes on and lives an amazing life, has a, a tremendous impact on <clears throat> really Babylon, on the whole culture, on, on bringing, on bringing a, a godly influence into the whole culture. He has a tremendous impact. God uses his life powerfully. I mean, he's one of the great heroes of the faith. Do you know one of the secrets to his success? You know one of the sources that was kind of like the secret to his success? Let me, let me read something to you here and see if you can pick up on it, right? So Daniel 1, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among them were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah uh, of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belshazzar, Hananiah he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food, excuse me, or with the wine that he drank. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters channers that were in his kingdom did you did you catch the secret to daniel's success in there like there, there were probably i don't know we don't know how many were brought how many of these young men were brought probably maybe a hundred i could be there's 120 mentioned in in chapter six maybe there were like a hundred a hundred of these young men i don't know how many there were there were a lot of them Daniel, huh? Didn't 
Didn't get brainwashed? No. The key source of Daniel's success was that he chose his friends wisely. And out of all those kids, there were four of them that stood out. There were four of them that refused the food. There were four of them that shined. There were four of them that stuck together. There were four of them that encouraged and didn't discourage each other. And what a toxic environment they were in, right? What a, what a, what a place to be discouraged and a place to be upset and, and a place to complain and gripe and moan and just give in and just enjoy the king's food. And, and what a, but four of them, no. Four of them stood together because they chose their friends wisely. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for the testimony of Daniel. And Lord, thank you as we go through life. We're encountering people all the time. And, 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 and so much of what I said today hinges on this reality. It takes spiritual discernment. It takes spiritual discernment to, 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 to look and say, is this a healthy relationship or not a healthy relationship? Or how do I do, is there a boundary I need to set in this relationship? Are, are they causing me to gripe? Are they causing me to complain? Are they causing me to be critical? Are they causing me to lose sight of the blessings you've given? Are they causing me to not walk in obedience and to, and to thrive spiritually? We need to consider the people around us that we hang out with every day. And may we as a church here, as we gather together, may we encourage, not discourage each other. May we build each other up. May we encourage each other in our spiritual walk so that we can thrive and be all that you have called us to be. And Lord, I just, one last thing before we leave today, I pray for anyone in here who has never let Christ take the, take the, take the sin out of their life, the toxicity of sin out of their, out of their personhood, out of their, out of their nature, out of who they are. That they are here today and, and, and they're just a soul. They're defined by themselves and by their, their, their choices and their desires and their feelings and, and their behaviors. And they're not defined by Christ because they have never surrendered to him. Today, I pray for that person right now in their seat. They would just say, I believe you died for me. I believe my life's a mess. I believe I, I, believe I have a lot of toxicity in my life, a lot of sin in my life, and you are a holy God and I have wronged you. And today, I'm believing that you will forgive me of my sin and I'm believing that you'll come in and you'll make my spirit alive to God and you will help me live a spiritual life that can thrive. If you haven't made that decision today, I pray right now in your seat, you will. Make that acknowledgement to God. For the rest of us, bless us, Lord, as we go home today. Give us a great week. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.